a, what an amazing, incredible ministry. I had the great privilege of helping setting Hope House up 16 years ago, so seen lots of women come through and healed, hold, restored. My husband, I married uh, Jay, who preached here a few years ago, I think. And uh, so I really do believe in it because I married a graduate of Teen Challenge. <laughs> but, you know, the, it's an incredible ministry of, of hope and restoration. And as Pastor said, for our nation, this is, this, we have the answer for the nation today. Our nation is a fatherless society, family broken down. There is a lot, a lot of issues, a lot of problems. And, you know, us in Teen Challenge, we do believe God has given us the mandate to reach those most vulnerable in our society, to reach the people that, you know, are, are in the dark corners and the darkness of our streets. And, you know, we have an incredible vision. We have moved. I'm nearer you. We have moved from South Wales. I have. The girls are still in South Wales. Real hard to say goodbye there. But I've moved and, you know, we're up in uh, Leicester, Nottingham borders now. And, you know, it's an incredible vision because, you know, we're within an hour, an hour and a half reach of many, many, many cities. And we really want to go into these cities and help those people in the dark corners of our cities and work alongside churches. The best thing about Teen Challenge is not a church. It comes alongside churches and works with churches and helps them also reaching the most hurting in our society. So, you know, it was lovely to have that welcome here because you know what we're all about and you've had Teen Challenge before. And for those of you that do support us, I do say a real heartfelt thank you. And I hope, you know, you look at that and you hear, you just heard two stories this morning. We could multiply that. But, you know, just to hear and say, wow, I've invested in a good thing because you're investing in a life and not are you just investing in one life you're going to hear Haley's story next which is incredible these girls and guys they just want to give back and give back and give back they don't just get thank you that's me now done and I'm away to do my life it's like no I have a passion to help other people so you know most of the girls behind us they're actually staff members in Hope House they're many years free um, and uh, there's one or two just waiting to graduate but we have 25 other girls in South Wales at the moment going through the rehabilitation program you know I was down there um, yesterday and just to see you know afresh because I've been away since February and just to see the pain and hurt afresh you know I've been with the school our school of ministry has moved up so I've been with the school of ministry and they're all free and happy and training to go out the streets but you know to look at the girls again yesterday it was very touching for me and the pain and they were crying while I was sharing in chapel the tears were flowing and they're still needing so I would ask that you would continue to pray you know there's a lot of work goes on you see the finished product well that's not complete finish but you see you know someone along the way but you know 12 months of looking at issues like Alyssa was talking about and had to really it's it's hard it's a long program but, you know, if we, we don't get any government funding. The government don't give us any subsidy at all, um, just the girls' benefits. We'd never ask a girl coming in or a guy to pay for their program. There's never a question of money. They say, how do I fund it? So just give your benefits, which is usually, you know, about a, 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 probably about a fifth of what it costs. And, um, you know, but we... We ask that, you know, things like this, we do fundraising. We have jewellery. The girls make jewellery in the afternoon down the coffee shop. I think there's the jewellery and books and, and CDs. And, you know, if some of you already, you know, do support us. But if there's a 
a leaflet on your seat and if you would like to you know come alongside us help us to help them you're investing in a life but you're investing in a family you're investing in a community and you know you don't know I, I always in all my years in Hope House I think who have I sitting here you've seen Alison on the big issue she's a minister of the gospel now in Newport you see the girl at the street the beggar she's speaking at the women's AOG conference northeast of Scotland uh, this year she's the preacher she's the preacher at the conference she was begging begging on the streets for many many years in fact they thought she was retarded they thought she couldn't speak for two years the girl never lifted her head and spoke and they thought and then they thought she died because she went missing and then she went back to that street corner and she preached on that street corner said that was me that was me begging and people were just absolutely fascinated but she's speaking at the women's northeast you know it's incredible what god but we need the help of the church the people of god and i'm speaking to people who already help us so i do say thank you but if you're here this morning and you say yeah i want to come alongside that ministry we would be absolutely delighted so we're going to hand over to Haley. another incredible story if you're ready for it it's just you know incredible again and she's going to bring her story and the word this morning oh sorry christian i'm getting pointed over here it's christian we're handing over i'm sorry christian that's okay i normally get it wrong as well so it's quite good i feel you're my kind of person you are <laughs> wow uh, as i said earlier we're gonna i don't want to take too long because i want to get these to mention if anybody has decided to sponsor us monthly you will get a free cd and a free book so if you go to the table the girls will give it to you I'm so excited to be here this morning and be able to share with you about a miracle working God, a powerful God. You know, a God who isn't a distant God, who's so far away that he can't touch our lives, but a God that is so close that he can reach down and touch a broken life and bring it to restoration, can bring it to a place that it could never have even have dreamt of being. And, tonight, and today you've heard stories of lives that have been broken. Lives that have absolutely been so broken. I mean, the picture that they've painted is only a small glimpse. I mean, every day was a nightmare. And every day you could paint another picture and another picture and another picture of the devastation of what drug addiction and, and just a, 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 a crazy life has done to us girls. But you know what? The marks of addiction are off us. They're completely removed because of the blood of Jesus. And I just want to take you to a story in the Bible. It's in Luke. Luke chapter 8 and verse 23, 26, sorry. And it's the story of the demon-possessed man. And in the Message Bible, it calls him the madman. And I sort of like that name a bit better because we can relate more to that, to that name sort of in our culture and the way we would speak. And it says... They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. 
Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave the permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons have gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. What a story. What an amazing story of a man who was so bound. His life was so bound that he would scream and cut himself with rocks. The chains in his life were so heavy. The bondage in his heart was so destructive that he would self-harm. That's what we would call it today, self-harm. He would cut himself with rocks and he would scream because of the torment in his mind. And people didn't know what to do with him. They thought maybe if we chain him up, maybe if we, we, we try to restrain him and we put chains on him, maybe that'll help his circumstance. But his chains were deeper than being outward chains. The chains were inside. The chains were inside. And it was only going to take a supernatural power to come in and be able to break the chains that were in his life. And you know, when I read this story, I can relate so much to this story. Because there were chains in my life that were so heavy. There were chains in my mind that caused me so much distress, so much pain, so much hurt, so much fear. You know, I began taking drugs when I was 12 years of age. I grew up in a Christian family and I knew what it was to be in church. I knew what it was to dance at the front with my friends. I traveled with YWAM, with the youth group, and we went around churches doing dramas and preaching the gospel. But you know, as I went through my life and I began, and I hit secondary school, I began to, um, to get bullied. I got quite badly bullied in my town and in my school, and they would call me this particular name, a really hurtful name, a, a name that, that robbed me of my confidence and my self-esteem. And so I, I found a group of friends who were from the local council estate. And to be honest, anything went there. It didn't matter what clothes you wore. It didn't matter um, how, how you looked. They just accepted you for who you was. And so when I went up there, I just found a sense of acceptance. But they were all involved in crime and in drugs. And so at the age of 12, I began to smoke cannabis. And by the time I was 15, I was into a drug, introduced to a drug called speed amphetamine. I'd already been diagnosed with depression by the doctor at 15, and I had an eating disorder. I just didn't like who I was, and I was so miserable in my life. I hated the way I looked. I hated the way I sounded. I just had such a sense of low self-esteem. But when I began to take this drug, I just felt amazing. 
I mean, the only way I can describe it to you, I just felt confident. I felt like I had this confidence about me where I could be somebody who I thought that I wanted to be. I could be somebody who I thought that people wanted to be, wanted me to be. And I had this like sense of street cred. But little did I know the life of destruction that this drug was going to take me into. You know, I remember my first paranoid psychosis on this drug at 15, thinking that I was dying for three days. I was convinced that I was dying. And I remember saying to my friends, if I die tonight, just throw me up the mountain from the valleys in Wales. I said, just throw me up the mountain and let the drugs come out of my system because I don't want my parents to know that I've died from drugs. And, you know, that was where my head was at at 15. Just throw me up the mountain if I die. But you know, at 18, I began to become quite violent and I decided that I was going to take revenge on all the people who'd ever called me this name because this drug began to give me a confidence, but it began to give me a strength where I thought that I could take back the things that had been robbed from me. And so I began to attack people in the street. I began to attack girls, guys, men. It didn't really matter, to be honest. It was just a rage within me. And, you know, I can remember being in prison at, 20, at, at the age of 20 for a violent crime. My local newspaper had headlined the, the, um, the story, Vicious Animal Attack. They'd named and shamed me as an animal. My community had labelled me as an animal. And you know what? I wasn't far from it. I was running about crazed by the drugs that I was taking, crazed by the hurts that I, were, that I was carrying. You know, at the age of 20, I suffered a psychotic episode. And my life became a living nightmare. You know, I see these films that are advertised on bus stops and on walls as you're walking down the street, and they're all about paranormal activity. And when I see these films, they make me sick. Because I tell you what, that was the reality of my life. My life was that reality. That paranormal activity was going on in my life. And I was bound in fear. And people go to watch this for entertainment. I just can't get it in my head. And you know, as I, was, as I, would, I, I fell into this state of psychosis, I began to walk the streets at night. And I wouldn't go out during the day because I was too afraid of people. I was so intimidated by people that I would walk the streets at night. And as I began to walk the streets, I began to find things on the floor. Money sometimes, sometimes drugs, packets of tobacco. And so the pattern developed in my life where I began to go out looking for things. I would be out six, seven hours at night. I would go out at midnight and I'd come back home at half six in the morning. And I would have been out all night walking the streets. You know, it'd be raining, I'd be sweating because of the drugs that I was taking. And it was like I was driven by this power that was beyond myself. Even when my body and my mind was exhausted, it was like this, this drive to, to collect things, to pick up things. You know, I would be walking up mountains in grassy back, banks, picking up bits of rubbish. You know, one night somebody told me that there was something in a river and I remember at three o'clock in the morning, walking in this river, knee deep in this water, picking up plastic carrier bags and looking for something in a river that I didn't even know what I was looking for. My life was an absolute mess. I was unrecognizable to my family. I was unrecognizable to my community. You know, I thought I had bugs under my skin. 
And I would constantly spend hours picking at my skin, trying to pick the bugs that were in my skin. A constant feeling of feeling dirty and feeling that I had the bugs. And I would be on the internet looking at everything you can imagine, every human um, uh, disease that you could pick up. I was so convinced that there was this disease going around. And I can remember going around to people in the street and telling them that this disease was going around and that they needed to go and get themselves checked out. And that's how real this was in my life, how real my psychosis was. You know, I can remember being sat in the doctor's I would go three, four times a week and would just keep going about different complaints, this skin complaint, that skin complaint, just saying to him, what is wrong with me? What is on my skin? And he'd say, Haley, there's nothing wrong with you. It's the drugs that you were taking, but I was so convinced. You know, I can remember being in the chemist and I'd go and pick up my methadone because now I'd got into heroin and I'd got into a methadone script. And I can remember being sat in the chemist with my sleeves rolled up as the chemist looked at the state of my arms and I would have gashes that were full length of my arm where I'd started picking at the bottom and with my nail I'd scrape right across my arm trying to pick the bugs that were out of my skin. My face was a mess. I would spend hours in the mirror picking at my face. You know, I would feel these bugs in my throat, up my nose. It was like this constant feeling of feeling dirty, like that that, that nothing could cure me of this. And you know, I remember this, this thought came into my mind. There's a conspiracy out against me. Somebody is plotting to destroy my mind. It must be this new experiment or something that they're doing. People must be trying to see how much one mind can take. And so this fear came on me that I thought that somebody was plotting against me. And then I began to hear this ladder come to my bedroom window every night. And I thought that I had a stalker at my bedroom window. And every night I would lie there absolutely bound in fear. My my neck and my back would be so tense with the fear that I was carrying as this stalker would come to my window every night. And I would run downstairs to the bathroom to get away. And I'd hear the ladder move into the bathroom. And so I'd run downstairs to the living room. And I'd hear the ladder move downstairs. And then I'd see a flashing light in one window. And then a flashing light in the other window. And everywhere that I tried to run, it was like there was nowhere to hide. And I can remember pushing the settee out in my lounge. And getting a big kitchen knife. And being on my knees, completely consumed with fear. You know, I screamed and cried out to my dad. My dad came running, thinking that something was going on. He searched all around the street, and I said to him, Dad, there's somebody on the roof. There's somebody on the roof. And I can remember him being outside with a hammer, thinking, who's there? Who's there? But there was nobody there. And I remember him coming in and saying to me, there's nobody there. It's in your mind. It's in your head. And I remember him grabbing me and saying, Haley, if you don't stop this, you're never going to come out of it. You're never going to be free from this. And then I was so convinced that this is how professional these people were. They'd even got my dad to not believe me. They'd even got my dad to not be able to help me. You know, I remember phoning the police one night and the police came. I was in such a state. And the police just said, there's nobody there. I remember my drug counselor sending me to the psychiatrist and I was sat with a psychiatrist and he was asking me if I was hearing voices and if I was seeing ghosts, if I was seeing things. And, you know, I was seeing shadows. 
shadows were beginning to come into my mind shadows and voices were beginning to come into my mind and you know I would walk down the street and I'd see a shadow come over me and I'd I'd run with fear or I'd gasp with fear because I felt like something was there but it was like nobody could help me nobody could enter into my world you know I remember being so paranoid one night that I thought I was going to have a heart attack from the amount of drugs that I'd taken and I can remember phoning the ambulance for myself and saying to the ambulance that, you know, I'm, I'm having a heart attack. You're going to have to come and get me. And I remember being sat and my whole body was completely stiff from the drugs that I'd taken. It was like my body was in shock. And I remember going down in the ambulance to the, to the hospital and my mum followed in the car. And I remember being in that hospital room where the nurse came in and my arms were black and blue from injecting drugs. I'd not slept for days. My mind was so damaged. I was talking about things that didn't even make sense. And I can remember my mum crying to the nurse and saying, can you section her, please, can you section her? And I remember the nurse saying, if you don't stop this, you're going to be dead in two months. My life was an absolute mess. It was a car wreck. And you know, I remember being on my knees in my bedroom as the realisation hit me that I was losing my mind and there was nobody who could help me. There was no family member, there was no police authority that could help me. I was completely trapped and I felt like I was looking out of somebody else's crazy mind. Because deep down I was crying out, I'm not mad, I'm not mad, but everything I was doing and saying was saying something different. And I remember being on my knees and as that realization hit me, I just broke down. I was 21 years of age and I suffered a nervous breakdown. While my friends were out getting jobs and careers and making a life for themselves, I was laying in bed for eight months with a black towel at my window, sleeping day in and day out, not knowing whether it was day or night, to be honest, and not really caring. I didn't cry anymore. I didn't laugh anymore. I didn't have any emotion. I was just completely numb. I lay there, my family were downstairs and they were trying to get on with their normal family life with a mental patient really living up in the, in the bedroom upstairs. And you know, as I lay in that bed and in that desperation, I'd just given up, I'd given up hope. But I remembered this old Jesus film that I'd had growing up as a child. It was my favorite film. I mean, I would cry at the music because I was so sensitive as a child growing up. You know, the music of any film would just make me cry. And, you know, I remembered this film that I had and it was so old that it would flicker with the tracking from beginning to end. It was like anyone in their right mind wouldn't have watched it. But, you know, I wasn't in my right mind and the Holy Spirit was drawing me. The Holy Spirit was beginning to deep cries out to deep the holy spirit was beginning to draw me to this film and as i began to watch this film of jesus and how he ministered to the sinful woman that when she came to his feet as he was reclining at the table and she came in her brokenness in her filth in her sin in her insanity in her addiction whatever it may have been when she came to his feet and she knelt at his feet weeping at his feet how he forgave her and sent her away with peace as i saw jesus minister to the demon possessed man as he was running around crazed out of his mind completely humiliated by the devil as i saw jesus come and and set him free 
And as he was sat there with clothes and in his right mind, it was like a hope begin, began to arise within me that there was one person who could enter into my nightmare. There was one person who could set me free from the life that I was bound in. And it was Jesus. Yeah. You know, as I would watch this film and see Jesus walk into the cross, I knew that he did it for me. I knew that he did it for me and I knew that no matter how dark, no matter how black the stain of my sin, no matter how deep the despair of my life, that that cross meant that I could know freedom. That cross meant that I could know forgiveness. That cross meant that I could know a second chance in life. You know, my auntie was a Christian and she told me about Hope House and she, you know, uh, got me an application form and I went into the program. My mind was a mess. My life was a mess. And you know, I can remember being in those chapels and as the presence of God would just be so thick. I can remember sitting on the chair with my head between my legs. Couldn't pick my head up because I was just weeping, crying, 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 so broken. And as I would look at the floor, I would picture the feet of Jesus. And as my tears would drop onto the floor, I would just see my tears dropping onto the feet of Jesus. And as I was seeing that, the Holy Spirit was coming in and beginning to set me free. He was coming in. He was beginning to bring freedom and forgiveness and healing into my heart. You know, as I went through the program, I went through the counseling, looked at the issues that, that were in my life, looked at the issues of why I'd got into drug addiction. But, you know, I knew that God had broken the chains of my addiction. But it was my mind. The battle was on for my mind. And I tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It was hard. Because I tell you, the grip was so strong on my mind. The grip was so strong and the enemy didn't want to let me go. And the lies that he kept feeding me. I'd go to church and I'd have a brilliant time at church and the hope would be in my heart and I'd be traveling back on that bus with the girls back to Hope House and all of a sudden the voice had come you're never going to be free it's too good to be true you'll never get free from this that name that I'd got called all my life started to whisper in my ear but you know God had a plan and he had a purpose God had a plan to set me free to release me from the chains that were in my mind and at his perfect time, he did what only he could do. You know, I wrote a letter to Fiona and I was so desperate. I was so broken. And I said, Fiona, I just feel like leaving the program. I can't cope in my mind. I want God. I want to live for God. But I just, this battle for my mind is just so strong. And she said, just hang on. Just wait and let me pray. And so Fiona prayed. And she said, I feel like the Lord is wanting us to fast and pray for six afternoons for the healing of your mind. And so we began to fast and we prayed for six afternoons. And on the last afternoon, I went to a midweek meeting at our church. And all I could say was like the presence of God was so thick. It was like you could almost see it like a, like a mist. You know, it was so thick. You'd swear there was angels in the room because the worship was just so amazing. And, you know, I remember there being a call for prayer. And I just, I felt so much of God in, in the, just sat in my seat that I didn't even feel like I needed to go forward. But I went forward for prayer and as I went forward, the pastor began to prophesy over me. 
And as we began to prophesy, I can remember the power of God coming on me. And it was like my whole body began to shake under the power of God. And he began to prophesy and he began to say, Haley, I've set you free from your fear. Haley, I've set you free from the fear of man. Haley, I've set you free from the fear of your past catching up with you. It's not going to catch up with you. Haley, you're free. And as he looked at me in the eyes and he picked up my hands and I said, I'm free. And I don't know whether it was God, the audible voice of God, or whether he said it, but all I heard was louder. And I went, I'm free. And everyone in the church started shouting, I'm free, I'm free. And everybody just started shouting. It was just an amazing moment. But I remember God touched me so deep. Oh, he touched me so deep. I couldn't even speak. Everyone was on such a high drive that traveling back to the center and everyone, the music was on and everyone was clapping and singing and worshiping God. It'd been such an amazing night at church, but I remember just sitting there. I was so deep. I couldn't speak to anybody. I just knew I didn't want to lose what God was doing in that moment. And I remember going home and taking off my makeup in the mirror. As I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't look the same. It was like a hardness had broken. It was like a, like a, a, a mask had been lifted off and I was free. And I couldn't, I didn't know what it was. And I was thinking, are my cheekbones higher or is my skin clearer? You know, I just couldn't put my finger on what it was. But I knew that something had changed. I knew something had been broken off me. And, you know, from that moment on, I just had a fire in my belly for God. I just had a fire that nothing could quench it. And I remember people, you know, saying, she'll come down. She'll come down, but you know, I've never come down from that moment because I tell you, I know that I have been saved. I know that I have been set free. I know that I have been redeemed. And I tell you, when that enemy comes in and he tries to whisper those lies in my ear, I take him to that place where Jesus set me free. I take him to that place where I knew that the chains had been broken in my mind. You know, I went to the school of evangelism real heart to minister to the lost and to reach the broken, especially those who are bound with, with mind, with, in their mind, with, with depression, with anxieties, with fear, because I felt the Lord saying to me, Haley, I've set you free, now you go and set others free. And you know, I went to the school of evangelism and then I left and did six months as an intern in Hope House. And then I went traveling for a year with a, an Elim evangelist. We went to India and to the south of France, went all around the UK doing tent missions and just seeing amazing miracles, seeing people get out of wheelchairs, seeing people just completely delivered, seeing people getting saved and just amazing time of my life. And, but the whole time I always had this call for the addict. I always had this call to work with the broken and I just knew the Lord was going to take me back to Team Challenge and you know, I applied for a job at Teen Challenge and I've been back now a year and a half. And all I can say is my life is blessed. I am so blessed from the inside out. My mind is blessed. My heart is blessed. My life is so blessed. You know, being able to pour into these girls' lives, being able to tell the worst case who comes through that door, who feels like, you know, she is the worst and there's nobody who's been as bad as her to get set free before, to be able to come in and say, I'm telling you, the power of God can break every chain. There's no chain too strong that he can't break it. There's no sickness too bad that he can't heal it. He is your powerful God. And if we put our faith in him, if we just believe, 
if we just believe that he is who he says he is, that he is the God of the Bible, that he is and can do what he says in his word, if we would just believe, then he can do more than we can ever dream or imagine. He can break every chain. And you know, just to finish, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond and You know, obviously I'm visiting and I don't really know who any of you are. And maybe somebody's here today and they're here for the first time. And maybe you've never heard the gospel. Maybe you've never heard about a loving God. A God who went to a cross to die for your sin. And I want to give you the opportunity today to respond to this message and give your life to Christ. Because I tell you, the love of God, the love of God will satisfy you. The love of God will fulfill you. We live in a world where love is cheap. Love is cheap. And everyone is looking for love in the wrong places. In relationships, in careers, in having children. But I tell you, once you experience and you find that love of God, the search is over. You'll never have to search again. And so if we would just all bow our heads and close our eyes. I just want to give you that opportunity this morning. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your power. We thank you for your love. We thank you for all that you are, Lord. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, if there is just one person in this place who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would just move in their hearts right now, Lord. That you would begin to reveal yourself in their hearts right now, Lord God. And so if you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer. And just from a sincere heart, if you pray this prayer after me, just mean it from your heart. Lord Jesus, I come to you today. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for going to the cross for me. I give my life to you today. Come and make me a new person. In Jesus' name. Now as all heads are bowed and all eyes are shut, I just want to give you the opportunity to respond by raising your hand. It's just signifying that that you've prayed that prayer and that you want to invite Jesus into your life so I can just pray a blessing over you. Is there anybody in here today? Is there one person in here today who's prayed that prayer? Thank you, I see your hand. You can put it down now. Is there anybody else in here today who prayed that prayer for the first time? Thank you, I see your hand at the back. Is there anybody else? Is there one more person? I'm not going to hold this out for long, but if there's one more person, I just want to give you that opportunity now to just raise your hand so I can pray a prayer of blessing over you. Is there anybody else? But Lord, I just thank you for the two ladies who've responded this morning. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that they have chosen you today, Lord. They have chosen life today, God. And I pray that you would bless them. I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill them, Lord, and that they would know a deep sense of your presence, Lord. I pray, God, from this day on, they would never be the same again, Lord. Touch their lives, oh God. Show them your love, I pray, oh God. In Jesus' name. Now as the worship band come, I just want to give an opportunity.